Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, along with my good friend and Inside Track co-host, Ed Wilkinson, welcoming you to a late winter, snowy, pre-St. Patrick's Day edition of Inside Track. Thanks for tuning in today. You know, last Saturday, we were bragging about 80 degrees in sunshine. This morning, I woke up to 36 degrees in snow. Our new pup, Sparky, did not appreciate it. Wouldn't make a poop outside. Can I say that on radio? I think I just I did. I think you just did. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Eb? Any snow oh, at the Wilkinson Mansion? Nice and snowy. It was wonderful. Really? You did have some... We some, did. We did. It's stuck and all? It, it's, it was uh, on there right before I came to the station. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. A friend of ours, uh, Sally Reichardt from uh, the Sonoida area. I hope she's listening. Her and Bryce. Uh, they had a lot of snow down there. Kind of a pretty winter wonderland. And uh, yeah, it was all good. Oh, yeah. You, you did get a fair amount of snow. That's nice. Um, any big St. Patrick's Day plans, Ebster? No. No green Boring. beer? No green beer? I'll try and make the uh, bourbon green. <laughs> Any corned beef and cabbage? Uh, we're going to do that. Absolutely. Really? Okay. All right. And, uh, and read Dr. Seuss. I am Sam. Sam, I am. Do you like you green eggs and ham? You can't do that anymore. It's Come terrible. on. He's canceled. They're going to cancel you if you won't cancel him. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, green dolphin, uh, <laughs> beers. I mean, when I was a, a kid in college, uh, my fake ID... Actually, they never checked IDs there. Um, green beer. I only did that once. You know, I don't drink anything blue, and I really don't dr- no, and I don't drink anything green. And to me, the whole idea of drinking green beer, there was just something that it was like vomit. I mean, well, you got to do it once. I did it once. That was it. Never again. Speaking of doing something once, I had the liver. Oh they, yeah, liver they and onions. It, they sliced it thin. Yeah, they, they always do. They, That's nice. they fried it well. No, they sliced it thinner than they normally do. It was Bruce. He's I, now Eb's talking again. about Eb's talking about liver and onions at the Mountain Oyster Club. Uh, what I normally order for dinner and make everybody around me a little bit sick. Uh, but liver and onions, hey friends, besides you know being good to eat, especially with uh, onions, you know, uh, and and bacon, it's very very nutritious. And so I'm going to do it again. Have a little ketchup on the side with I, that? I did not do that. Oh, yeah. No, you got to have ketchup. I'll, I'll make sure I, mean, I do that. I mean, normally, I think it's like, you know, a shame to put ketchup with a meat, but that works out pretty well. It's a nice, nice compliment. I'll do that. Onion rings with that or fries? Onion rings. Did you get the charred tomato? Yes. Nice. Well done. Bruce, well it, done, you. I hate to say it. It was good. Well done, you. All right. Hey, we welcome your calls today at the Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus Hotline, 790-2040. We have another, I hope, extraordinary show for you today. After our first break, we will chat with Horace Cooper from the National Center for Policy and Research, Project 21. Horace is a senior fellow with the National Center for Public the National Center for Public Policy Research, and is co-chairman of the Project 21 National Advisory Board and a frequent national legal commentator. After the break, author David O. Stewart, Mr. Stewart's new book, George Washington, The Political Rise of America's Founding Father. He'll be with us. I think you'll enjoy hearing from David, who John Meekham has written. David O. Stewart brings his characteristic grace and skill to this portrait of the political George Washington. Stewart's book is a welcome reminder of the possibilities, however imperfect, of the public arena. Hey, friends, this portion of the show is brought to you by my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, and Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend on socialized security. Eb manages family wealth for my own family and does a fabo job. Call Eb at 777-1911 and let him help you also. That's 777-1911. Eb, I know you're not necessarily a market watcher. You seem to focus uh, at <laughs> Imus Wilkinson on long-term tra- trends and individualized investment plans. But what do you make of the last couple of weeks in the equity markets? How so? 
up at record territory, but there have been some big downs. Well, there there have big been some adjustments big, yeah. in, in 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 companies like Tesla's value. Tesla just plummeted a bit. Yeah. So what's going on? Well, look, as I said before, uh, companies are doing well in spite of uh, the current occupant of the White House, otherwise known as the cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as earnings are going well, the markets are going to keep going well. And ultimately, the markets will always find a way to make money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's just the bottom line. Oil's coming back. Right. You know. Two dollar, excuse me, two ninety nine here in Tucson for regular, uh, $3.09 in Phoenix, three forty nine for premium. Um, oil at now uh, north of sixty dollars. North of sixty a, bucks a barrel. Yeah. All right. Well, as expected, the Congress passed without any Republican support. Their big fat porkapalooza. Oh my God! What a disaster, Bruce. Lots of pork, big deficits, lots, lots, uh, loads of borrowing. And what does this mean for inflation and interest rates in the midterm and long term? Okay, interest rates we saw have risen. You know the uh, the t- the uh, ten year the ten year has risen from basically a half a point up past uh, a point and a half in just, you know, what? A month? 45 days, 30 days. Uh, Ultimately, this is going to be, depending on how you look at it, we will get inflation. It has to come. There is no choice. Uh, And so we make sure that uh, portfolios are designed for that, protected for that. If you're a bond investor, don't do that. (laughs) You know, you heard that. Don't do that. (laughs) I'm the don't do that guy. If you're a bond investor, don't do that. You're going to get hammered. You know, every time interest rates rise, bond prices fall. Now, it's going to be great for banks. If you're a local community bank, a rise in interest rate is going to make you money. Will it? Or will it? It will. Or will borrowing uh, slow down? Borrowing, borrowing may slow down, but it will never go away because people always need money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Bank, banks are going to do well. And uh, if you're if you're refinancing your mortgage, f- for the love of God, refinance to a 15 year. Don't take money out. Yeah, and that's interesting because a lot of people are taking money out. Uh, it was just reported uh, the other day in Wall Street Journal. I read that. Um, so I wonder how that's going to affect uh, the world. You know, some some people who haven't had the income that they've enjoyed over the past years, they are taking that money out probably and they are and they're making a huge mistake you know you read the journal article on that uh last time this happened uh in 2008 pretty soon people couldn't afford to make those mortgage payments mm-hmm. it just got themselves into a world of hurt housing i mean try and buy a house right now it, it listed as long as the house is decent it's listed it's gone right hmm. well ab you've been vaccinated your sweetie uh has she received her vaccination she has Good, good for her. Joe both, Biden. Both both of them. None of us got sick. Good. Yeah, Jane had her second vaccination. She's having a little bit of an out-of-body experience right now, but she says she'll she'll be better. Um, so Joe Biden said, Eb, if you're really, really good and you follow every one of his rules, you could get to sit outside, socially distance, of course. With a small group of people. Of course. And enjoy... The 4th of July, Independence Day, hot dogs grilled on the barbecue. Now, don't char your dog because that could lead to cancer, but... I love charred dogs. But if you're a really, really good American who follows all of Grandpa Joe's specific rules, he is going to... Excuse me. If you don't follow his rules, he's going to forgive Forgive. He's going to forbid you. Yes. To eat a hot dog or watch fireworks. And now he doesn't want fireworks at all they in took it South, out of South Dakota. Dakota. So who the hell knows where next? Um, don't you feel better about electing this great man? Oh, my God. To what the presidency? Let me tell you something. As I, as I wrote to a friend of mine, you know, Joe doesn't give me my rights. My rights don't come from the president. And they don't come from the Constitution. They're they just acknowledged God. in the Constitution. They come from God. Sorry, Joe, you're canceled. Did you know there was another insurrection this week? I saw that. 
Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, AOC, and her gang of radicals, plus, of course, CNN, our feeble president never mentioned it. Uh, it's led by white males. It's at the Portland courthouse. They tried to Not burn it. one show on the news about that. They tried to burn it down again. Why? Because they took the fences down. Um, and and they were pissed off at the Portland mayor for wanting to give back $2 million to the Portland Police Department. Uh, another failed experiment. Um, yeah, Eb, fences don't work yeah. unless it's around the White House so or the courthouse. So speaking about science, Eb, because we know our president always, always, always follows the science. 6,000 new illegal immigrants, uh-oh, busted, we're not we're not supposed to call that because that's racist to call illegal immigration what it is. Um, anyway, six thousand illegal uh, people came into this country this past week alone from Mexico, from Honduras, from Guatemala, a smattering from China. Who knows India? What to do? What some terrorists from the Middle East? All held in Biden jail for about a hundred hours, close to ten percent carrying the China virus infection where is the science ab there there is none where's the humanity he's got exactly. him, he's got them in those same and Trump he's got jail. the kids back in cages absolutely but they have butterflies on the walls but That's that makes nice. me feel so much better and they're not even nobody's even talking about the hundred plus pounds of narcotics that were seized at the border just recently we're not talking marijuana. We're talking narcotics. A hundred pounds or a hundred thousand pounds? A hundred pounds in one vehicle oh. coming across. That seems like an everyday occurrence. Uh, so what's the over-under on Mario Cuomo? I understand he's up to seven reports. Uh, who knows how many more out there? I heard it was higher than that. Well, somebody predicted there'd be 30, oh, but okay. seven, Got, okay. seven acknowledged. And, of course, Kamala Harris yesterday when asked about, you know, uh, her friend Mario, Mario, Mario was a good man. <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrew's not so good. Uh, she literally, she didn't just say no comment. She ran in the other direction. All right, two million signatures on the recall petition in uh, California. Uh, that thing's going in the right direction. Um, one last news piece. It's been scarcely reported, but it appears that Nira Tadden wasn't the only bad pick by the virtue signaling mentally challenged chief executive made to the Office of Management and Budget. A previously unremarkable Shalanda Young linked to abortion to racial justice. Really? The president has spoken in favor of Congress, she says, ending the Hyde Amendment as part of his commitment to providing comprehensive health care for all women. Further eliminating the Hyde, uh, Hyde Amendment is a matter of economic and racial justice because it most significantly impacts Medicaid recipients who are low income and likely to be women of color. Wow. I wonder what her over under is not very good all right well mr producer we are up on our first break when we return eb and i will talk with horace cooper from the national center for public policy stay tuned we'll be back in a jiffy customers come first at tucson iron and metal surplus what other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So. Uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them so i think that's really our niche market we'll sell whatever you need tucson iron and metal surplus call 209-1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911. It's termite season. 
bugs. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. <laughs> Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control, 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show well <coughs> brought to you by my friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus and Essential Pest Control. These are two locally owned, family-run businesses you can depend upon. I do, so should you. I first heard our guest, Horace Cooper, on a rebroadcast of the Bill Martinez show in the middle of the night on a radio station in Los Angeles I listened to on my phone. I'm a little weird at night. I listen to the radio. When I heard Horace, I said, this guy is the bomb. So here he is on Inside Track. Welcome, Horace. Welcome to Inside Track. Hey, and it's great to be on your program. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks, Horace. Sir, how has the left wokeness created not less, but more discrimination in America today? Well, one of the biggest issues uh, that the um, progressive agenda and their woke idea of how America should organize itself has done is that it has been extremely disruptive of the free market. If you want to get people to be wealthier or prosperous, take uh, the actions that uh, independent people are able to do, you need a free market for that. Sure. What the woke progressive agenda does is say, no, 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 we can't trust that. So what we're going to do is interject with governmental intervention. Governmental intervention on its face diverges our, our uh, shifts resources from where they might normally go to where the government prioritizes. And typically what government does is what is politically uh, valuable and successful for the particular advocates in government. That example can be crystallized between a tale of two terms. The first four years of the Barack Obama administration and the first four years of the Donald Trump administration. Right. In each instance, you can see how this intervention worked and hurt or worked and didn't hurt. Hmm. Um, switching topics a little bit, but still on the left wokeness. Tell us about the gay white dad of mixed race kids in San Francisco who volunteered for an open seat to be on an advisory panel for the San Francisco School Board and the treatment he got. Yeah, so this is an illustration of this broader point yeah. uh, about how the wokeness uh, causes um, a actual effort to make all Americans identify not according to their skills, not according to their talents, not as human beings, not as citizens, but instead as part of some subgroup. In this particular case in California, a father who wanted to volunteer and participate in helping not just his own children, but the broader community, uh, was told that yes, there have been vacancies. We need help. We've needed it for a long time, but we're waiting for a certain particular identity of characteristics to up the person that we want to hear of. We're positive, and this is part of the woke agenda. We're positive that we know that if we got a black woman to participate in this role, we would get such amazing and wonderful benefits. Well, that's really, really remarkable to say. What if some elected person, in this case, these are actually other volunteers, but what if some person in government said, already know that we don't want any black men? You know what they bring to the table? Everyone would be giving that statement 
even by volunteers, even more attention than Meghan Markle has gotten about right. her fake comments <laughs> oh my God. about the royal family. <laughs> this mindset said to that father, you're gay, but we're not counting that as diversity. You have biracial children. We're not counting that as diversity. We are looking at your chromosomes today, and that's the test for whether or not you of value to the table. Again, it is government intervention and pre-selecting certain attitudes, behaviors, and facets over letting the most talented, the most capable, and the most interesting people uh, participate. Hmm. During the Obama administration, for four years, we set records for how badly unemployment would be among black America. How many would need food stamps? How many would need public housing assistance? And guess what? Under four years of the Trump administration, we also set records. We broke six separate records for the lowest unemployment among black Americans since we've been recording it at the Department of Labor. Broke records for the number of Americans who happen to be black who didn't need to be on food stamps any longer. Again, the woke agenda intervenes in the marketplace, picks up these particular and unique traits and characteristics that have nothing to do with whether people are competent or capable, and America suffers as a result. And doesn't that show the uh, compassion, not how many people you get on food stamps, but how many people you get off food stamps and welfare? Absolutely, and guess what? It, when asked, black Americans, as well as white Americans, but black Americans said they happier being able to provide for themselves. Now, we shouldn't have to have a survey to answer that question. We should know this. But if woke, you might not. And that is part of this intervention in which characteristics about people are selected. Martin Luther King said that people should be judged by the content of their character, not by how they look, appear, sound, where they were born, or other things that they have absolutely no control over. The woke agenda says, let's throw Martin Luther King out and let's come up with an idea that every single time in every single place it's been tried, it has led to failure. So Horace, who makes money by continuing the racism? I mean, the the way that I look at them, uh, racism, does it exist? Yes. Is it great here in the U.S.? Absolutely not. We're better here than any other country. So who makes money off of continuing the racism and uh, all that? So uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it to your audience. Ultimately, America, if it keeps going down the path of the woke agenda, is going to need to apologize to the supporters and sponsors of Jim Crow in the 20th century because the advocates of the new Jim Crow, the woke agenda, benefit politically campaign, they organize, they involve themselves in how corporations are going to operate. They attain uh, senior positions in American society. How much of that is because of their genuine desire to do the things they're doing? And how much of that is because of the benefits? It's not clear, but if you go back and look at the 20th century, you saw the same phenomenon, that there were people who benefited. They actually got an advantage by helping to uh, tell the lie that America should organize itself based on racial characteristics. Political people came to power, rose to power. Woodrow Wilson is a great example of that. Worst president president ever. Of the United States. And that is the model that we see looking into the 21st century. We're only in the 20s of the 21st century, but look at how badly the same racial separatist attitude happened in the 1920s. It took some of the greatest growth, the greatest opportunities, the greatest ability of black America, white America to create prosperity and transform that 
into government and society is going to organize itself around who has what race and who does not. This is a terrible idea. It looked like we had learned the lesson. It took almost 55 years in order, in heading into the uh, 20th century, in order for us to realize the error of our ways. Is it going to take another 55 years to do this again? So basically then what you're saying is the Black Lives Matter movement, the woke stuff going on, this is basically the new Jim Crow laws. Oh, absolutely it is. It absolutely is predicated on the idea that when you see someone, when you interact with someone, ignore who they actually are and only focus on some particular aspects. Coca-Cola is going around telling its own employees that they actually have a problem if they are male, if they are white, if they come from certain economic backgrounds. That alone, nothing about who they are, what they've done, what their actual history is. You have education programs. You can't graduate from the class unless you write on a sheet of paper, I am the problem. Could you imagine if this was 1945 and students were told to write, well, if you're black, you're a male, you need to write on here, I am the problem. If you refuse to do that, we're going to fail you. Well, today, when we look back, we would say, well, that's outrageous. There is no tangible difference between preferring one race because it's white versus preferring one race because it's not. It is bigotry, it's discrimination, and it hurts all of American society. And you just had uh, Joe Biden in that $1.9 trillion fiasco go ahead and assert his bigotry again by saying, if you're a black farmer, we're going to give you more money. If you're a white farmer, you get nothing. The Fair Labor Standards Act, which was passed in the early 20th century, you can go and look at the congressional record, and what you will see are individuals who hold elected office who said, we're doing this because we need government to favor white class people over black working class people. Most Americans do not know this, but black men were the highest employed Americans up until the Great Depression. During the Roaring Twenties, there were, quote, too many blacks working, and therefore the federal government responded by crippling the opportunities for black America. That governmental intervention has harmed black America even up until this point. There is now a push to eliminate what's called the gig economy. If you are self-employed, we're going to make it harder for you to continue being able to support yourself. You must be associated with some particular employer because we need to be able to regulate that employer, and we can't easily regulate individuals. So if it crushes your hopes, if it crushes your dreams, well, it's too bad. You can't make an omelet unless you break a few eggs. So once again, just like the Lyft and uh, Uber getting uh, regulated in California and everywhere else, it's all about control. Well, it's yes, it's all about control, but it's about control, and it has very, very devastating effects. You can, on the one hand, you cannot on the one hand, pretend that America is this racist, bigoted place, and then say to people, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to get a job with big tech. I'm not going to be able to get a job with big oil. I'm not going to be able to get a job with big corporate. I'm going to just strike out on my own and offer my services and then have that same government say, no, you can't do that either. It is remarkable to look at what happened, again, under the four years of the Trump administration, to see how many small businesses were disproportionately minority, and they were profiting, and they were expanding. This is what is being thrown away by the world agenda. Horace, we told our listeners you're going to be the bomb. You're like the atomic bomb. Uh, great stuff. I, I, I always try to pack 
12 pounds of crap in a six-pound bag. Um, there's lots more to talk about. We've got to get to our next guest. I do want to make sure, though, we talk about the National Center for Public Policy Research. This is a communications and research foundation supportive of a strong national defense and dedicated to providing free market solutions to today's public policy problems. They believe that the principles of a free market, individual liberty, and personal responsibility provide the greatest hope for meeting the challenges facing America in the 21st century. How can our listeners learn more and give more to your group, Horace? Well, check us out at www.nationalcenter.org. You can follow one of our divisions, Project 21, at Project 21 News on Twitter. And if you want to follow me directly, it's www.horsecooper.com. We need to have you back on. Horace, I want to have you back on soon because there's a Supreme Court case that you've uh, uh, written a a brief uh, on that uh, regarding voting rights. And uh, thanks so much. I, I so much appreciate your passion and the good work that you're doing. All right. Happy to be here. Great. Thanks, Horace. Okay, producer Tom, let's go to our kind of bottom of the hour break. Uh, And when we return, we'll have David O. Stewart. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. Eb and I will be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, Interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, Run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Okay, welcome back to Inside Track. Eb's here. Bruce is here. Before we get to our next guest and author of George Washington, The Political Rise of America's Founding Father, David O. Stewart, do you have a home improvement project you want to get going, but you're worried if you can afford the luxury you deserve? Corazon Cabinets sells top-quality cabinets by J&K, Legacy, and Conestoga. Visit the Corazon crew at their new showroom located at 4700 South Park Avenue. Meet Joy, Allie, and David to see their fabulous collection and let them plan the kitchen or bath of your dreams. Call Corazon Cabinets 488-2266 and get to work on beautifying your home in 2021. Corazon Cabinets, luxury you can afford. On to our special guest, David O. Stewart. Now, David, do you know that there's a David O. Stewart or a David, actually, Stewart. A David Stewart who was with the Arrhythmics? I never knew that. Have you been told that before? I have. There also was an extremely good pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Philadelphia Phillies by the same name. And Dave Stewart also pitched for the uh, Oakland A's in the 1989 right. World Series. I just You're saw right. him. I just saw him on the uh, on the TV the other night. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. I didn't mean to get into that bit of trivia, but my co-host, Eb, reminded me. I told him that I stopped listening to music when the Beatles broke up. So, George Washington, The Political Rise of America's Founding Father. Um, you have written 
So many books focus on American leaders. The summer of 1787, Impeach, the trial of Andrew Johnson, American Emperor, a, a book about Aaron Burr, Madison's five partnerships that built America. Plus, and I think this is super interesting, a series of nonfiction historical mystery books featuring from Abraham Lincoln to Babe Ruth and the First World War. Wow, what a great, what a great list of things that you've done. Well, thanks very much. It's been fun. Yeah. So you aren't likely to be the first guy, and you won't be the last uh, to be a Washington biographer. What do you think is the seminal thing that sets your book, George Washington, The Rise of America's Founding Father, apart from so many other Washington books? Well, I really look closely at the question of how he got to be such a great political leader. We tend to think of him as a soldier. We think of him as a planter. We think of him as a statesman, a good man. But we never think of him as a working politician. But that's what he was. And he was extraordinarily good at it. In fact, he was so good that we don't even think of him as being a politician. Right. Now, that's really good. And it was fascinating to me to discover that, first of all, he got elected four times to key offices, president twice, commander-in-chief of the Army. Always unanimously. That's pretty good. How do you <laughs> do that? And it turns out that as a young man, he actually was a lousy politician. He, he, he pissed people off. He just had, had the wrong way. And he taught himself. And he went to school, uh, the school of the real world, right. to learn about it. He served for 16 years as a colonial legislator, longer than he was a soldier. He served on the county court where he was in charge of local government issues. And as you know, nothing is more passionate and more difficult than local government issues. Yep. They're very tough. And he learned how to work with people, how to get agreements, and how to persuade people. And those are the talents that you've got to develop and that he, he just had and, and figured out for himself. You start your book uh, in, in your introduction to part one with a quote from John F.D. Smith. Is it Smith or Smythe? One or the other. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, th I, think, I think that this really, th this really confirms what you just said. Nor during his political life has Washington ever performed a single action that could entitle him to the least share of merit or praise, much less of glory. But as a politician, he has certainly distinguished himself, having by his political maneuvers and his cautious, plausible management raised himself to a degree of eminence in his own country unrivaled. Yeah, I, I had a few quotes like that of people who really didn't think much of him. And I thought it was so important to have that because... It, it just reflected, first of all, nobody gets 100 percent, at least not usually. But also he had to figure out how to deal with people. And he had a touch with people that we don't understand when we read. You know, we think of him as this great mythic figure on horseback. You know, the tallest guy in the room, the guy who was, who was brave at battle. And he was. But he also connected with people. He, 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 you know, people described him as affable. We never think of him as affable. Um, and he was a great listener. And when that quote you just read, he talks about through cautious, plausible maneuvering. Well, that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to be careful. Uh, don't set off any tripwires. Learn your, the land. I mean, this is a soldier's message. Learn the lay of the land, then, you know, get your forces in order, and then move. And that's what Washington always did politically. It was, he was very deliberate. You know, David, what you said about listening, uh, I've spent about 14 years around politicians, state, um, uh, federal, and uh, up right to the president of the United States. And you know what I always found was the most effective politicians, the most effective political leaders, were ones that used their two ears before they used their one mouth. Absolutely true. Um, 
you've got to know what other people are thinking. There's a wonderful letter Washington writes when he's first as president to an old friend back in Virginia, and he says, tell me what people are saying about the government, the new government, Mm -hmm. especially the bad stuff, because I need to know that. And, you know, that's right. So there was even a bubble then in, in the 18th century, it sounds like. You know, whenever there are powerful people, it's, you know, it's hard to get people to tell you the truth sometimes. Mm-hmm. When you started developing the book, I'm sure you'd read about our first president, maybe a lot of the presidents. But what was the biggest surprise from your research which made it into your book? Well, maybe I'd say two things. One is that it took him so long to to develop himself as a politician, he was by no means a natural. He was not a great orator. He had to find his own style, a quiet style. Um, but also that he was so emotionally accessible. You know, there's a Frenchman who writes that, you know, traveling with Washington through the country, it was as though he was everyone's brother and everyone's father. Hmm. People just felt this connection to him, which he was able to build. And I was just shocked to discover that on maybe three public occasions he wept in public he wasn't embarrassed about it he was moved he showed his emotions and i think that made showing his vulnerability even though everybody knew he was the most courageous man they'd ever met really built a bond with people they saw him as a real person and that was just a great achievement and he did have great heroism that he displayed in the French and Indian Wars, didn't he? Anytime he was in a battlefield, he was the tallest man on the biggest horse. He was the best target. And he acted as though he was at a Sunday picnic. He <laughs> just did never showed fear. He had to feel it. You know, he wasn't stupid. But if you can master your your fear in that kind of terrifying situation people notice and people are impressed and they really were impressed and he was and it's got to be said crazy lucky sure he was in all these terrible battles and he never got a scratch david we have a caller charles calling in uh charles you have a quick question for david o stewart I had three really quick ones. Number one, first of all, I'm very impressed with your work. Uh, number one, do you have any indication that uh, Stonewall Jackson studied Washington much? Uh, I, I just don't know. I'm not okay, going to. Uh, thank you. Number two is, Washington signed his letters, your humble servant, a lot of them. Um, do, you, do you think he was like, throwing himself out by saying that? Or do you think that's really how he looked at himself as a humble servant? Great question. That was pretty standard. That's what people did in the 18th century. That was the form. Okay. That's what what you did. All right. And the third thing is, and I'll take my answer to this on the air, have you ever drawn a graph line between the leaders who inspire people and what it was they accomplished? Have you ever tried graphing that or comparing one with another, and I'll listen to that answer on the radio. Thank you. Bye. You know, I, I can't can't say it's a graph, but it's a great connection to see, and, it, and I think it is cause and effect. If you can inspire people and get them to join with you, you can achieve so much more than you could just sort of browbeating them or you know trying to just say it's all about me. Um, it needs to be you, you are speaking for an entire nation and you need to understand that and and, and solicit support and loyalty and, and that you know let me just say quickly again back to Washington he did two things that won the trust of his fellow citizens one was after he won the Revolutionary War or we won the war he went home right he didn't try to take power you know, Julius Caesar had done it. Right. Oliver Cromwell, Napoleon would do it. Simon Bolivar in South America. That's what a lot of people do, but not Washington. He didn't crave power, and that 
you know, persuaded everybody that you could trust the guy. You know, David, I found out about your book reading a uh, review in the Wall Street Journal, and the uh, author of that review, Barton Swaim, said, an outstanding biography that both avoids, is it hagiography, um, and acknowledges the greatness of Washington's character. Mr. Stewart's writing is clear, often superlative. His judgments are nuanced, and the whole has a narrative drive such a life deserves that uh, it was a great review and 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 after reading i had to interview you for the show um uh, lots and lots of praise so my question is in today's world where so many of the american founders and early leaders are viewed through the lens of today's society how did you manage where so many others have failed to write but not overly judge your subject well, you do try to take the people as they come and with their limitations. Uh, with Washington, you have to answer the questions about slavery because he owned a lot of slaves. Mm-hmm. And it's a load. And, you know, as his biographer, I wish he hadn't. <laughs> it's something I have to talk about that is not much fun. But he travels a path he understands he comes to understand just what a bad thing he's been doing and he tries to get out of it in practical ways and he ultimately does free his slaves on his death it's not the most heroic moment to be honest i i I could wish that he had done more but he was a man of his times and he also didn't think if he had made a big fuss about slavery it would have helped anything you know they weren't ready for it and David, you write that. And, and, well, and I, I can't second guess him. Yeah, he was a pretty good politician. You write that in 1774, he was already hostile to the institution of slavery and endorsed what were called the the Fairfax Resolves. Um, now, true, it took him until after he passed until uh, those those slaves were freed. But he did have a history of being against uh, slavery. Um, his action, maybe not noble or heroic, was pragmatic because, as you said, it wouldn't have changed much at the time. I guess. I mean, is there a better way to describe that? I think I think I've no, sort of summarized what you felt. I think that's pretty fair. He had tremendous money anxiety. It's one of the things that's, again, humanizing about the guy. He was always upset about money. He tended to spend more than he had. And he'd had a a number of years as a a youngster when they didn't have enough money. His his father died when he was only 11. So that anxiety would sometimes collide with his unhappiness with being a slave owner. And he he might pull back and say, well, actually, I can't afford to do that. And, you know, again, it's not the most admirable thing, but it's human. Right. We all face these kinds of choices, and we do the best we can with them. And I think it's so important not to submerge what he did achieve by saying, oh, he could have done more. Mm-hmm. We, we have to recognize that he could have done more. We have to be sorry about it and, you know, mark him down for that. To some extent, but that doesn't mean you turn away from the fact that he led the first successful exercise in self-government in, you know, 2000 years. I'm going to go out uh, far on a long, long limb here um, and, and sort of ask a question this way. Much like Ho Chi Minh did when America gave up in Vietnam um, to hold off the Americans, how far fetched would it be to say that while George Washington failed to win many of the battles he led, he and the Continental Army, similar to Ho Chi Minh and the Viet Cong, outlasted the British to eventually result in America gaining um, their independence from British rule. I think that's a very apt analogy, and Washington had to learn this, and uh, he had to he, he spent his first couple of years as a military commander trying to have a big battle with the British until he finally figured out he wasn't going to win those. And then his goal became to find the battle where he outnumbered them, (laughs) which, you know, where he had a real advantage and otherwise just to avoid battle. Mm. 
and wear them out. You know, it's the old Muhammad Ali rope-a-dope. <laughs> he was a rope-a-doper. That's a great analogy. Um, you know, and, and I do think the, the Vietnamese analogy is right. Mm-hmm. You know, the British were fighting a war 3,000 miles away over an ocean with 18th century technology. It was expensive as could be. And they weren't winning. Mm-hmm. And not winning for them was losing. Mm-hmm. So uh, now he's become president we know what the current presidency looks like, David. George Washington started the office of the president from scratch. We know about the Constitution, but what actually instructed Washington and his executive administration, besides the Constitution, to actually govern? As you said, there hadn't been this form of self-rule in, in millenniums. How, how did he do it? What, what were the apparatus that he used? He had to figure it out. There were state governments who had governors, but to be honest, they mostly didn't have any power. And most, you know, the political figures in the country who knew Washington knew that he wasn't just going to be a figurehead, that he thought it was important to have an executive officer who was responsible for things and took responsibility and made things happen that helped people. Um, That included defending the frontier. That included dealing with foreign uh, risks and dangers. And that included dealing with, we had a tremendous debt issue. Um, Right. And he took those on. And to be honest, he invented them. He had to figure out how to deal with Congress, which was, you know, he had dealt with Congress as a military leader, it was a different kind of Congress and a different position for him, but he had to figure that out. And it took a couple of years, but he set precedents, many of which we still follow. And I think he very much defined what we expect in a president. It's not necessarily what we get in a president, but it is what we expect, a certain dignity, a certain concern for people, and always, always integrity. Part three of your book, George Washington, The Political Rise of America's Founding Father, you wrote uh, uh, an Edward Thornton, uh, in, who in 1792 wrote, George Washington, and we, unfortunately we only have about a minute and a half left here, George Washington possesses two of the great requisites of a great statesman, the faculty to conceal his own sentiments and of discovering those of other men. Give us an example of this. Well, always in his cabinet, uh, he had Hamilton and Jefferson at each other's throats, basically, (laughs) disagreeing about everything. And he was the referee, but not really. Actually, he was the decision maker. And he would never show his hand. He would always be supportive of both of them because he respected both of them and he wanted to hear their views. He thought they were smart guys and he wanted to know what they were thinking. But then he made up his own mind. And that was, I think, the essential, a a real gift of leadership was to be sure he heard from the most talented people he could, but also to follow his own uh, his own lights and to understand the issue as best he could and then David we, we need we need to leave it there Th- George Washington the political rise of America's founding father I hope you will buy this book it's available just about everywhere until next Saturday this is Bruce Ash and Eb Wilkinson wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon